The following message was recorded Wednesday, February 21, 2024. What is love? Pastor David shares what the Word of God says love is, how God's love is manifested, and then how should Christian love be shown. And now, here's Pastor David. So last week, we had a, a double, right? We had Lent and Valentine's Day. And I was going to try to do both of those, and it was a good thing I didn't even attempt that because I would have never even gotten close. Uh, and so I figured we'll do the Valentine's Day study tonight, even though we're a week late, because it's not about, if, you, if any of you guys get, uh, I just thought it was Pastor uh, Rick Jr.'s God Before Government um, text, or little thing that he writes out, yeah, his post he put on there. It's not about... Oh, come on. It's not about Cupid. It's about Christ. There you go. <laughs> it's not about Cupid. It's about Christ. And so every day is about Christ, right? So we can, we can do a Valentine's Day message any day. Uh, so this will be a message that's basically concentrating on love. Okay? And that's where I'm going to go. And... Open, open to comments as we go along, I suppose, yeah. So, anyways, let's pray and then we'll get started. As Lord, always we come before you and Lord, we are inadequate or to even attempt to try to describe your incredible, amazing love for us. And we want to even try to experience it, Lord, but we know in our sinful bodies and our sinful minds, even that was a stretch of how much we can basically comprehend and absorb it. Lord, we do thank you for the grace and the mercy and the love that you've given to us. And I just pray tonight as we go through a message about your love and your amazing love, that, Lord, we would absorb a little bit more of it and yield our own selves to you so we could experience more of it. And as always, as always, as always, Lord, may it change our hearts. We don't want to leave this place being as much as we are like ourselves right now. We want to leave this place looking a little bit more like the love of Christ. So we just pray that for each and every one of us here, and I just lift up everyone that is here and everyone in the hearing of this, Lord. Even now, Lord, that we would absorb your love and be changed by it, radically changed by it, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Now we just ask you to go before us as we, as we turn to your word, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. In your name, amen. Amen. Okay. So, what is love? English word. What do you, go ahead. English. What, what is love? What do you think love is? It's good. We're going to get to that towards the end. That's really good. That's actually very good. He said it's showing action. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. And we're, and we're going to be talking about that, actually. So, that's good. Yeah. It's a choice. Yeah. Love is a choice. Yeah. Like we're not robots, right? It's a multiple of things. It's a multiple of things. And, whether you use Greek words or and we're going to be talking about that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we're going to start out with that, actually. Um, so the English word that we use for love is love, right? Yeah. Obviously easy. Um, and that is very lacking in description uh, because... Uh, we say, we literally say that we love everything, right? And for example, I love ice cream. And I really loved that movie. Or I love my wife. I love my children. I love God. And then how about men loved darkness? 
So, so there's, we, we use the same word in English, love, over and over and over, but intuitively in our minds, we just immediately comprehend that word love to have different meanings, right? I mean, there certainly is a difference between I love ice cream and I love God, right? They're not even, they're not even close to being the same thing, right? Um, so the, the Greek uh, words and typically the biblical words for the description of love are phileo, you know what that is, right? You guys, we're, we're 101, we're backing up 101. You guys all know this. Uh, phileo, which is a brotherly love or it's an affectionate love, right? And eros, erotic or sensual love. And, and then we have agapeo, sacrif- yes, sac- sacrificial love. And then there's another one that Greek, the Greek word, another Greek word used is storge. And that is the family love. Yeah, so so if we go back and we now um, back up, uh, if I said I love ice cream, I might really mean that I'm I'm very fond of it, right? It doesn't mean I'm well. I hope it doesn't mean I'm going to sacrifice anything for it, you know. Um, and I really love that me- movie. Again, that's just kind of a a fondness. Um, but when I get to down to I love my wife, or I love my children. Um, now we got several different ways that we can look at that, right? For particularly, like, I love my children. Well, I, I, hopefully I'm fond of my children. I like them, right? I think, I think they're, good, they're good kids, and I really like them. And I th- now that they're in their uh, more adult ages, I hopefully have got some, some fellowship with them and some, some affectionate and some phileo and brotherly, you know, bond with, with my boys. And, uh, you know, but when it... Yeah, well, and hopefully a sacrificial love, too. That could apply, right? And then when you get to your relationship between your spouse, well, you, hopefully you would have the same things. You know, she's my best friend. I mean, she just is. She's been my best friend for over three decades. So, um, so you know, I, I have that brotherly love for her. I've got the, the, the family love for her. And we've got the, we have the uh, eros love, and we have the uh, agapeo love, a sacrificial love for one another. So it can be a multiple of of love, different types of love for the same particular person. But love in itself in English is a very lacking word, right? So we're going to take a look at some of these and apply them, the phileo brotherly, the, well, um, mostly an agape. We're going to be concentrating on agape sacrificial love. Um, and so the next thing I want to look at is the, the fact that God is, God is love. So if you look at First John chapter 4, and you can kind of stick your finger there or a piece of paper or something there because we're going to kind of be flipping back and forth and spending a lot of time in First John because John is the apostle of. And we call him that because he spoke on love of probably more than any other apostles, right? So we'll be, we'll be looking a lot at First um, John. And, and then actually this particular verse is First John 4, 7. We're going to look at it from the, from the application from perspective of God and then actual application from the perspective of man also. So. But so 1 John 4, 7, he says, Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And he who does not love does not know God for... God is love. 
So not only does it say that God is love, it also says up the beginning that God is of love, right? So that means that if there is any love in this world at all, it originates from, and where else does it originate from? Nowhere. <laughs> God is of love. I mean, it's if all love, real love, originates from God. That's it. That's the source of it, because God is love, right? Okay, so what does God's love look like? You're right. You can, you can sum it up in one word, Jesus, and we're going to get there. <laughs> so um, what does God's look like? God, God's love look like? In Exodus, Exodus 34, if you want to try to get there really quickly. It's going to be Bible drills tonight. 34. So in Exodus 34, uh, you know that Moses, when he came down from the mountain the first time, he, he threw the tablets down and they broke. And then uh, God said, uh, okay, Moses, we need to talk about that. You're going to make another set of tablets and you're going to come back up on the mountain and we're going to have a discussion, right? So, so Moses is heading back up the mountain. He's going up to uh, meet with God again on the mountain. And this is the context of where this passage comes from. So in Exodus 34 and verse 6, it says, And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generations. So here's what God described himself as. Merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. This, this, is, a, this is very important when you think about it because we've talked about this quite a bit. We have sin, right? And sin is missing the mark. We just, we just miss the mark. Sometimes we don't even mean to. We just, we just do. We don't get it quite right. Transgression is when? And when you cross the line, and you knew you crossed the line. All right, so that's your transgression. Iniquity is... It's just our nature. Yeah, it's just, we're just, we're just, yeah, we are sin. Yeah. But this, because of God's graciousness, he, he himself said that he is gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth. He keeps mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. He's got you covered completely, 100%. Missing the mark, crossing the line, or just the fact that we are born separate from God. We are just, you know, we just have iniquity in us. It just indwells in us. But God is long-suffering and merciful, aboundless in goodness and truth, and he keeps mercy. In Lamentations 3.22, I won't make you turn there, it says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. 
They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So now we have a God that's merciful, gracious, he's long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth. He keeps mercy. He forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, and his love never ceases. So all these things that he said about himself, they don't ever cease. They're available to us 24-7. Okay, it's not like some period of the day, sometime, well, my goodness gracious, it's noon and God's at lunch, you know? No, it never ceases. It never ceases. His love is continual. And then in Psalm 136, we have 26 verses of God's attributes and they are all completed in his mercy endures forever. You remember that psalm? And his mercy endures forever. And God, da-da-da, and his mercy endures forever. And da-da-da, and his mercy endures forever. Over and over and over, 26 times, his mercy endures forever. Merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, never ceases, and it endures forever. Forever, forever. This is what it looks like. This is what God's love looks like. And then in Romans 8, you can turn to this one. Uh, verses 31 to 39. Good? Ready? Romans 8, 31 to 39, it says, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril of sword. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor heights, nor depth, nor any other thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Okay. Merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness, abounding in truth, keeping mercy, forgiving iniquity, and transgression and sin. It never ceases and endures forever and it is inseparable. The love of God. Now, that's what he told us. Now, we could always say, well, you told me that. How about show me? <laughs> right? You, you get it, right? You know, it's like someone, someone comes and they says, I'm sorry, and then they do it again. I'm sorry. When they do it again, I'm sorry, and they do it again. I'm sorry, and it's like, don't tell me. Show me. Right? So these are all these attributes of God's love, 
And he said them, all these texts, he said them, but it's like, okay, well, show me, show me that. And God knew this, right? He knew that we, <laughs> we, we couldn't just comprehend it and accept it. We were going to have to see it. So he had to manifest his love, right? And, and Ed, how did he manifest his love? Jesus, yeah, he manifested his love in Jesus. It's like, show me, okay, Jesus, all right? So if God manifested his love for us through Jesus, what does that look like, all right? Oh, wait a second. I'm sorry, I skipped ahead. Um, man manifestation of God's love manifested to me, okay? So John 3, 16, we know that one, right? For God so loved the world that he gave... Now, catch, the, catch the, the similarities between all these verses. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish and have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that, he, that the world through him might be saved. And then in 1 John 4, 9, he says, In this the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. And then in Romans 5, 8, he says, now hope does not disappoint because of love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, every one of those is about what? Him sending his son. He's showing us love by sending his son. He sent his son for, as a perpetuation for sin for us. So that he's man, and now he told us what his love was, and now I have to, I'm going to do something about that that they can comprehend. I'm going to actually come myself in the, in the manifestation of myself in flesh and blood through Christ Jesus, and I'm going to now show them love through Christ Jesus. So now he told us, and he sent the mechanism to do it, but now we need to see the example Right? So now we're going to look to Jesus as him actually manifesting his love. The show me. Show me what does your love look like. I know you said it, and I can comprehend it, but I need to feel it. I need to see it. Okay? And so now this is where God manifested his love through Jesus, and what does his love look like? All right? In 1 Corinthians 13, you all know this one. Uh, 4 through 8, it says, Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And this is what Jesus showed to us. He showed us that his love is long-suffering. He's patient, and we, as we, although we continually stumble and we continually mess up and we continually sin and transgress, and because we're iniquity, we have iniquity in us, he continually has long-suffering love for us, and he's kind. He's not mean. He's not mean about it. Jesus isn't mean. Love does not envy. What does that mean? 
when you're envious of somebody? Jealous? Yeah. I don't like you because you have something I don't have. You know, love doesn't behave like that. Love does not parade itself. It's not boastful. Um, Look at me. That's not what it looks like. Love looks like humility, right? It's not puffed up. It doesn't behave rudely. It doesn't seek its own. It's not provoked. It thinks no evil. How about does not rejoice in iniquity? How about that one? What would that look like, rejoicing in iniquity? Or, you know, I was trying to think about this. Rejoicing in iniquity maybe would be, um, this might be a poor example, I don't know, but uh, I'm going to condemn you for some sinful behavior I see in your life, yet I'm going to overlook this sinful behavior that's very obvious to me in my own life. That's hypocrisy as well, but, but you know, would that be, well, I'm accepting of mine, so I'm, I'm, in a re- I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with my iniquity, the iniquity that's in my life. Um, I'm not going to rejoice in that. And I'm certainly not going to rejoice in, in, you know, this in unbelievable, crazy world that we live in that seems to be flying apart and it's just full of just you know, uncontrollable sin, right? Are we rejoicing in it? Are we participating in it? Because none of it's good. Uh, we're not going to rejoice in that. But we rejoice in the truth. You know, we rejoice in God's truth. We're going to hold on to his truth. And this is what we rejoice in because we know it's right. We know in our hearts that it's right. That it bears all things, believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. Love never fails. And we're going to come back to this because I want to apply something from a different perspective. But in John 15, 9 through 13, this is when the Passover is going on. And Jesus said as the Father in his prayer, And the Father loved me, also I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And then he says this, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. That's what Jesus' love looks like. There is no greater love than one who would lay down his life. So God told us what his love looked like. He sent Jesus, and the purpose that he sent Jesus for in all these texts that I just read was to basically be the sacrifice for our sins. And then Jesus himself said, there is no greater love than for a man to lay down his life for his friends. So this is what, this is what God's love looks like. And then he said also, these things I command you, that you now love one another. So what does Christian love look like in response? So we know what God's love looks like. What does our love look like? It all look pretty similar, shouldn't it? It ought to. It ought to. Maybe it doesn't all the time. So if God's love to us was manifested to us through Jesus, what should Christian love look like? Now follow me on this one. 1 Peter chapter 5. verses 1 to 3. He says, The elders who are among you I exhort, I whom am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, 
serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And I, I was thinking about this verse, and I realized that this is written to elders of a church who are appointed as overseers of the body. But does it not also say a qualification of an elder is that his house must be in order? So wouldn't this apply as well, that, that uh, at least from the man's perspective, that our love in our family ought to be like this? First, before it ever gets into this building, doesn't it? That makes sense. Can I, can I bring that together? And you can stay with me on this one, okay? So he's a fellow fellow elder, okay, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, a partaker of the glory that's revealed. He says, "Shepherd your flock. Your flock is your family at home. You're, you are supposed. This is what you're supposed to be doing. Shepherd your flock." serving as an overseer, not by compulsion, not because you have to do it, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those who have been entrusted to you. But being examples to the flock. And we just read that Jesus was the example. And we read the example of his love. So this is what love ultimately should look like inside of a family, the workings of a family, okay? Now, here's the thing. He says, shepherd the flock. And there are, there's a couple synonymous words uh, used in the Bible that kind of imply a shepherd, all right? And the first one is it's bosco. It's a verb. Both of these are going to be verbs. So it's action, right? A verb is an action word. Um, but the Bosco, it just means to feed or it's portraying the duty of a Christian teacher to promote in every way the principal welfare, uh, the spiritual welfare members of the church. Okay, so basically it's a, an overseer that's basically just supposed to be teaching. All right, that's his job. Okay, that's the Bosco. But what... But what Peter used here was a word that's called poimaino, all right? It's also a shepherd, but this one means to feed, to tend, to keep, to rule, to govern, to furnish pasture for food, to nourish, to cherish one's body, to serve the body, to supply the requisites for the soul's need. That's a whole different thing there, isn't it? That's a whole different level than just being, I teach. And I'm giving you the word of God and what the word of God says. And it's a very important thing, and it's included in this, but there's a whole lot more to this shepherd. And there's a whole lot more to a person's position in their family as the head of the family than just providing financially. I've given you a place to lay your head. You've got clothes and you've got food, and that's it. That's not it. That's not it. As the head of a family, to really show love and being the shepherd, you're supposed to feed them and tend to them. 
keep them. Yes, rule and govern, but you don't do it with compulsion, right? You don't do it lording over. That's not the way it has to happen. It's not the way it's supposed to happen. You're supposed to be nourishing. You're supposed to be cherishing. You're supposed to be serving. And then you're, and you are supposed to be spiritually lifting them up. That is the purpose. That is the, that is the job of someone, the leader of the family, the father in the family. That's his, that's his job to show that his love for his flock. That's what it is. This is what it is. And I have to think that when Peter said this, and having that in mind, he was probably thinking of a particular psalm. And that would be Psalm 23. So let's go there. Don't you think? I mean, can you put those together? When you, when you, when you think about this, the, to feed, to tend, to keep, to rule, to govern, to furnish pasture for food, to nourish, to cherish one's body, to serve the body, to supply the requisite needs for the soul. And then you turn to Psalm 23. And it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. My needs are taken care of. This is, what, this is the example, right? The, the example of God's love for us. I don't, I don't have to want because my shepherd's got me taken care of. Right? He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He's providing for me, right? He's providing, he's taking me to the green pasture, he's providing for me, but he makes me lie down. Do you think the sheep are going to lie down if they don't feel safe? If they're not comfortable? He's providing safety and security for them, right? He leads me beside still waters. Again, a safety, a security for the family. He restores my soul. When I'm hurt, when I'm down, when I've stumbled, when I don't understand what's going on. He's there. This is what the shepherd's going to do. He restores me. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So he's leading me into righteousness. And this is for his, for his name's sake because no one's ever going to say, where's your God now? He said he would do it. And he means it. And he knows that if, if, if he didn't do it, people would be able to accuse him. So, but he leads us in paths of righteousness and he keeps us on that narrow path to the gate, to the kingdom, right? For his name's sake. And he says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. He doesn't, he doesn't take the sheep to the valley. I don't know what's in there. I guess we'll see how many come back out. <laughs> that's not what he does they don't fear evil even when they go through the deepest darkest trials of their lives they don't fear evil because he's with them oh and your rod and your staff they comfort me what is that that's the govern that's the rule Right? The governance, that's the rule. But is it evil? Is it harsh? In fact, the sheep find it comforting. I needed to be aligned in that area. And he didn't try to hurt me. He tried to restore me. 
That's what he's trying to do. And so I know the wrath and the staff, it's, it's comforting. And that's how the sheep feel. This is what it's supposed to look like in our families. It's what it's supposed to look like amongst us as a church family. Right? How about you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies? <laughs> we talked about this one the other night when um, uh, Brian and Denise were at our house. And, and sometimes you find yourself in the presence of, the, of your enemies. And it can be very uncomfortable and, and you can be concerned. Or you might be concerned. But God says, I got a table of bounty for you. In the presence of your enemies. Don't worry about it. We rejoice in truth. Right? We don't need to worry about that. And then he says, I, you anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. I'm full. Surely, look at this, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. The shepherd's right there. His goodness and his mercy. He's with you. He's following you all the days of your life. And you can dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, when Peter says shepherd the flock of God, if we take that into the family environment, fathers, this is what it looks like. Husbands, this is what it looks like. This is what you should be doing. And, and your flock will be beautiful. It will be a wonderful thing because they know that you've got them. Not only are you providing their physical needs, you're providing their spiritual needs. They know that you're there. They know you're not going to leave. You're dedicated. You're going to protect them. You're going to take them through. You're going to nourish them, take them through the hardest times of life and guide them. That's what that love looks like. When it's worked out here amongst us, that's what it looks like. The same example that Jesus showed us. Now, Sunday morning, who, who all was here Sunday morning? Was everybody here Sunday morning? Most everybody was here Sunday morning? Some, some of you weren't, maybe? Okay. Sunday morning, Brian made several comments, and two of them really stuck with me. First off, his basically the kind of the, the whole um, subject that he was going on was that in a marriage, if there is no humility, there will be no unity. Right? Remember he said that? If there's no humility, there will be no unity. And he said, you might get compliance, but you're not going to get unity. Is that the shepherding model? <laughs> Is that the shepherding model? No, that's not the shepherding model. You know, you might get compliance, but you're not going to get unity if you're lording over. That's kind of what I'm looking at. That's the lording over. But this is what he said. Without humility, it is impossible to represent the character of Christ's love. So whatever the situation that you go into, whether it's good times or it's troubled times or whatever it is, if you approach it, and you don't approach it from an attitude of humility, you will never represent Christ's love in that situation. Okay? Because the opposite of humility is pride. And then he said, didn't say I'm back to back, but he said later in the message, and if we are full of pride, we put ourselves in direct contention with God. 
So you're going to try to fix a situation in pride in your family. And it's not going to work. But worse off is that you're putting yourself in direct contention with God. That's pretty serious stuff right there. Right? Putting yourself in direct contention with God. So God has given us his spirit, and we all know this. I'm not going to make you turn here on this one either, but Galatians 5, 22 to 26, it says the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Let us not become conceited provoking one another or envying one another. Now, you can, you, can, you can pretty much take this right here and stick it into 1 Corinthians 13. <laughs> That's almost the exact same thing, you know? All those attributes are right there. So, so it's like, guys, if you've been, in, in, been coming to the men's study at all on Saturday mornings, you know we've been in Ephesians. And one of the texts in Ephesians in chapter 1, it says, What's the exceeding, what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places? The same power that raised Christ from the dead is in us. That same power. That's amazing. When you think about that, that is amazing, amazing, amazing power. And that power ought to be able to be displayed in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, long-suffering, or self-control, right? And we have the power to do that. We have the power, the same power, the same attributes. When we look at that in 1 Corinthians 13 and say, that is Jesus. That's what Jesus looked like. The same power is in us that says we have those same attributes, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, we have them. It ought to be worked out in our lives. Should it not? It should be. So now let's look at pride. Because he said if, you put, if, if we're working from pride, and that's, what, that's kind of our mindset, this is Brian said this, that we're putting ourselves in direct contention with, with God. If you still have your finger in 1 Corinthians 13, if you don't, try to flip back there really quick. Those pages quit flipping. I'll know you're there. Okay. Okay, y'all set? 1 Corinthians 13. Pride suffers long. Does it? Does pride suffer long? No. How long does pride suffer? Zero. Pride is kind. No, no. Pride does not envy. Our pride does envy. Hmm. Pride doesn't parade, parade itself. Pride's always parading itself. Look at me! Woo! 
Right? Is pride puffed up? Pride doesn't behave rudely. Oh, yes, it does. Pride doesn't seek its own. Mm -mm. Pride's not provoked. Pride thinks no evil. Pride doesn't rejoice in inequity, but pride rejoices in the truth. Pride bears all things. Pride believes all things. Pride hopes all things. Pride endures all things. Pride never fails. Doesn't work very well, does it? And so you can see that love is from God and pride is from man. And if we try to resolve issues in any area of pride in our, in our own selves, in our own minds, in our own being, it puts ourselves in direct contention with God because he just, we just plugged it into the attributes of love. And it's like, <laughs> you're right, that doesn't fit at all. <laughs> you're never going to accomplish any of those things with pride, ever. There's not going to be any love. There's not going to be any joy. There's not going to be any peace. You will not have patience. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, no. Kindness, no. Faithfulness, no. Gentleness, absolutely not. Self-control, guaranteed not. They're not there with pride. But what does Ephesians 4.32 say? And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. That's love. Opposite of pride. Now, we're going to get to the action part. First John has several major themes, but there are two that are very prominent throughout First John. And one of them is being uh, that if we are Christians, we should really no longer have a desire for sin in the things of this world. Right? You got that, right? The second one is that we should love just as he loved. That's probably the prominent one. If you can get through 1 John and not come up with that, you know, it's, I don't know, you weren't paying close attention. Um, but pretty much that we should love as he, as he loved, okay? So 1 John 3.16, we read this. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's the kind of love is expected for a Christian. That's how we're supposed to behave. Same as Christ would behave. We have the power to do that. Don't always have the will to do that, but we have the power to do it. Now, I want you to look at something. In 1 John, if you're in chapter 4, and if you can back up and just look back at the last couple sections um, before chapter 4, and somebody tell me what some of the headings say there. Like, yeah, just like, you know, right before chapter 4. Outworking of love. That's one. I got that one in mind. Does anybody else have another one? Go before that. Let's go before that one. Love indeed and truth. I got that one. Love one another. The imperative of love. I got that one in mind. Okay, love. So love, 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 love. 
Now, now let's go to chapter 4, and if we skip by that first little section of chapter 4, the next heading there, what is it? What is this? Would anybody got a heading there? Like above first, verse 7, let's say? God is love. God is love. Anybody got another one? Knowing God, Knowing God through love. Anybody got another one? Love is Christ's love. Love is Christ's love. Okay. How about um, verse 12, another section there? Has anybody got one there? Seeing God. What's yours? What's your say? Yes. Knowing God through love, okay. In verse 12, above verse 12, what do you got there? Yes, sir. Seeing God through love. Anybody else got anyone there? Seeing God through love. And then, and then what about over 17? Consummation of love. So what I'm getting at is this little piece that we're going to read in chapter 4 has got all love before it. And it's got all love after it. So could we maybe say that this is probably about love also? <laughs> because sometimes I come across scriptures and I read them and I'm reading all about love before it and I'm reading all about love after it. And I look at it and I go, what in the world did he put that in there for? That seems like it's kind of out of place. But then when you look at it, you think, well, it must be about love. Let's take a look at it from that perspective. Because it says in chapter 4, it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world, and by this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now already is in the world. Kind of a weird thing to be putting right in the middle of all this talk about love, isn't it? So he's telling you, test the spirits. So that's what we're supposed to do. And basically he's saying, if, if there's a spirit that doesn't confess, and this is that, our word for the year, homologeo, right? Uh, uh, an agreement. Um, that if the spirit doesn't confess that Jesus came in the flesh then it's of the Antichrist. If it agrees that Jesus did come in the flesh, it's of Christ. So is that just it? Oh, yeah, God came in the flesh. Is that what that means? Not completely. It doesn't mean that completely. I think what it means is based on what we read in those early verses, that not only did he come in the flesh, but he came to die for our sins. And he came to show us what love looked like so that we could then act like he acts be the example that he is, and so that the love that he portrayed in the flesh would be the love that we would carry on. Okay? Because we got it, it seems it's just all about love, so why would it not be? It has to be more than just test the spirits to see if they say that God came in the flesh or Jesus came in the flesh or not. And I think it's to say that, that, that Jesus came in the flesh to die for our sins, to show us this, and that there's no greater love than this that one would lay down his life. And that also, there is no other way. He is the only way. This is love. This is what love did. Love laid down his life for us. Okay? So, to me, that seems to make sense. All right? But then if we go on, Let me pick up where I was. 
Oh, yeah. And also, in support of that, let me back up here for a second. In 1 John 3.10, he said, In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. So one confesses the spirit of Christ, one one antichrist. The difference. One, the children of God, one, the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. Mm -hmm. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. One is of the spirit of Antichrist, one is of the spirit of God. And it's based on love. Okay? So now, in verses 18 and 19, 1 John 4, 18 and 19, he also says that there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. We all know that one, right? Yeah, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. And I don't know that we always complete the verse when we say that. What does the rest of the verse say? Because fear involves torment. That's kind of scary, isn't it? If you are lording over if you are trying to gain control through fear, it's torment. It's not love. It absolutely is not love. And we can convince ourselves, we can convince ourselves to the uttermost that I am standing on the word of God and I refuse to yield whatsoever to what the word of God says. And we can behave exactly the opposite because we're working out of pride. But we have convinced ourselves through self-deception that we will not waver from what the Word of God says. But we'll rule by compulsion. We'll rule by lording over. And we'll rule by fear. And that involves torment. And that is not love. That's the spirit of the Antichrist. In 1 John 4, 7, if we go back to that verse that we already covered, it said, Beloved, let us love one another, for God is of love, and everyone who loves is, is of God and knows God. He who does not love, basically in like manner to God's love, he does not know God, for God is love. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love another. That is the action If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Love is active. Love acts in action in the character of his love. We have had a long time ago, and probably most of you aren't going to remember, um, Sergio Castillo, the, the doctor that's in Guatemala. And we had him up here one time, and he would say, the gospel is action. The gospel is action. What did he mean by that? It's not just preaching. It's doing. It's acting. So love isn't just preaching. Love isn't just saying it. Love is doing it. Love is active. It's action. And it has to portray God's love. It's not out of compulsion. It's not lording over. It's shepherding. It's leading, guiding, providing, nourishing. It's safe. It's secure. And if it's not, 
It's not love. 1 John 4, 20 to 21 says, If someone says, I love God, and he hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Has to. They don't go, I mean, they just, they go together, right? I mean, if you don't, it's not God's love. If it's not God's love, you don't know God. You have no hope of salvation. And I tell you, it's, it's a tough message to say. You know, I mean, it's, this isn't the easiest message. Um, so basically this way I sum it up. It, it's, it's easy for us to hear a message like this. And it's really easy for us to, we could sit, you know, in the pews or whatever you want to call them, in the chairs here, and we could, right, give the elbow, project that on somebody else. Very easy for us to just project it on somebody else. Oh, I know that guy, you know. Um, and, and to be honest with you, it's a travesty, and it really is a travesty if, if you are in a supposed Christian relationship and you're on the receiving end of, of something that is not God's love, but it's cloaked in God's love and cloaked in the word of God. And that, that's a serious travesty. It's, it's really a sad thing. But, but the real test for us is we're going to come, our life is full of coming to forks in the road all the time. We come to forks in the road. And one way is the broad way. And one way is the narrow way. And we have to decide which way we're going to go. Pretty easy to go the broad way, isn't it? And what about the narrow way? Difficult. It's difficult to go the narrow way. But we're going to come to these forks in the road. And there's a lot of times we have to go through self-inspections of ourselves and say, Lord, what about me? And, and so I put it this way. The real test, the narrow way, so to speak, is to put on this garment that we've just been talking about and to look in the mirror and see what it looks like on me. Do I pass the muster? Is this what love looks like in my life? Does it look like love and joy and peace? Do I have that relationship? Do I have that relationship in the vertical? Do I have that relationship in the horizontal? Am I patient? Am I kind? Am I good? Am I faithful? Do I have self-control? Do I have these things? If I put this garment on and I look in the mirror... Is that what I'm going to see? Or am I going to see, why is this looking so good? I kind of reacted with pride in that area. I wasn't very forgiving. I wasn't very long-suffering. You know, I really wasn't very nurturing. I should have been better. 
could have had more compassion. I could have led better. I could have guided better. I could have been a better example. That's the hard way. The easy way is, nah, it's not me. And I can run right down the Broadway into destruction. It's up to us. Which way are we going to go? Are we going to look at it and say, Lord, you are perfect love. And perfect love casts out all fear. And I know I'm not perfect. But I want to yield. I want to look more like you. If I could just take a few of those attributes from 1 Corinthians 13 and look and go, yeah, I'm getting more patient, I'm getting more loving, I'm getting more kind. I'm not going to speak back rudely if somebody attacks me. I'm not going to provoke anybody. I'm going to believe all things. I'm gonna, you know, I don't want, I, I, I wouldn't want anybody to ever say, they never, ever see the good in me. They always think the worst. I want them to say, wow, he's a different guy. You remember when he, he's not doing that anymore. He's not envious. He's joyful. He's glad that I did better than him. Believes all things. He hopes all things. Endures all things. One day we'll never fail, but here, <laughs> we'll never be perfect. But you get the point. So, Valentine's Day. I know it was a week ago. <laughs> but it's not about Cupid. It's not about Cupid. It's about Christ. And every day is Valentine's Day with Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, guys. Love you. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your word and your enduring, enduring, gracious, loving kindness that you show to us. And Lord, we beg you from the bottom of our hearts, make us look more like you. And Lord, I know that even just asking that, that you'll, put the, you'll put it to the test or you're going to put the fork in the road. <laughs> and we're going to have to make a decision on which way we're going to go, if we're going to follow you and we're going to portray your love or if we're going to walk off our own way and say, oh, ah, bah humbug. So show us how to be more like you. And Lord, and help, help us to realize that when we come into a difficult situation, where we don't want to be loving or return love, Lord, for evil, that we can say, I have the same power dwelling in me that raised Christ from the dead. And I can do this. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. And may you get the glory for your name's sake, Lord, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. I'll have a wonderful night. Thank you for listening to this message from Community Chapel of Greenville. For more information and to find more messages like this, please visit to www.ccgreenville.org. It is our desire to see our Lord high and lifted up, and to see His people grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ.